Now, I think we'll be adding to that video uh, soon, I guess, because uh, it looks like he's going to win an MVP, Mr. Joel Embiid. Uh, That's what it appears. It seems like the votes that you want are kind of swinging the pendulum in Joel Embiid's favor. After that Boston game, it seemed pretty apparent, and then Jokic's season kind of tailed off with sending out a couple of games, and people were – watching them play against Houston and then using those games where Jokic was playing limited minutes and had poor games is propaganda. But Krell, uh, second consecutive season winning the scoring title, a handful of assists, 10 boards, some critical wins. I think it's Embiid's this year. I agree. Uh, and hello, everybody. It is an all-new episode of The Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell. He is Brock Landis, your favorite YouTube content creator out there. He is the insider to Drew Hamlin and Joel Embiid as of uh, middle of this season, I think it is. Um, Brock, how are you, my friend? I'm good, bro. I appreciate you, and I'm glad to catch up with you ahead of the playoffs. I feel like this week where you could kind of kick your feet up and watch teams struggle and make a combined eight field goals in the fourth quarter is like a week to decompress, bro, so... Uh, I'm, I'm glad to catch up with you ahead of the playoffs because this is when the real season starts. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's funny you say that. Like, I've been thinking for months now, like, we can say whatever we want about, uh, you know, regular season, this and that, and whatever. Um, at this point, they've proven they can win a, a million games in the regular season. It's about the playoffs. And, you know, to your point about it being – this being the real, this being the real season, uh, not wrong. This is where they had to prove themselves and where they have fallen short uh, in the past, of course. Um, but they're playing the Brooklyn Nets, of course. Um, they are the three seed. The Nets are the six seed. The Sixers finish uh, the season fifty-four and twenty-eight. The Nets finish the season. 45 and 37. Um, you know, I thought that the Nets did get better as this post deadline new group came together. They, they, they did improve. Um, they still finish 12 and 15 uh, after the deadline. And the Sixers, on the other hand, went 20 and 9. Um, and they played the most games in the league after the deadline. They went 29, tied for the most wins. Um, with Milwaukee, of course. So the Sixers, you would figure, would be a heavy favorite in this series. Uh, and that is why we are we, we are here today to preview that series. And I think when we look at the fact that there is not a lot of film to watch on this matchup, I mean, they played two games prior to the trades, um, and it was the you know the Philly winning the Ben Simmons returns to Brooklyn or the Ben Simmons returns uh, to to you know in in Philadelphia and then it was the Sixers winning a tight one in Brooklyn and then the Sixers blowing the doors off the Nets on the last game of the year and there was also played. the first where neither Embiid nor yeah. Harden yeah. played as well it yeah. was like the Philly from behind yeah. exactly yeah um, so I I guess the fact that there's only one game to really look at as a as an example of this series it is kind of fitting that that's just, really that is a story that is the story in and of itself the nets came together mid-season their current version came together mid-season um in fact they are so new and this might kind of blow your you know the, this might blow your mind a little bit they have one lineup one lineup that has played more than 100 minutes together Wow, and that lineup, 25 games, that's a lot of minutes. Right. And that and that lineup has played 
328 minutes. So they were the only one that played more than 100, and they played well over 100. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of seems like that was like Jock Vaughn was like, all right, we're going to play these guys pretty much all the time. Um, but their three best lineups, Brooklyn, um, of course, you're going to have Mikhail Bridges in there because he's been the stud since he got there. He's in all three lineups. Um, you have Dinwiddie, who was acquired in the Kyrie Irving trade. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, also oh. acquired in the Kyrie Irving trade. Mikhail Bridges uh, and Cam Johnson, both acquired in the Phoenix trade that sent Kevin Durant to Phoenix. And, of course, Nick Claxton, who's been there all along. That group is plus 3.1 per 100 possessions in 328 minutes. Um, defense is pretty good there, not surprised, because Claxton has been awesome defensively. And then you have the defensive aptitudes of Finney Smith, Johnson, and Bridges. Uh, offense is, a, is eh. Um, and, you know, really, like, the – you know, I mean, they have some good advanced numbers, but really, there's it's very low sample size, so it's hard to tell what is real, what is not real. Um, their next most used lineup, 64 minutes, Dinwiddie, Royce O'Neal, Bridges, Johnson, Claxton, plus 8.2 per 100. Uh, very good. Small sample, but very good. Uh, the last lineup that is very good and is Played at least. I had to filter it by by lineups that have played at least fifty minutes because there's no sample size. Uh, the last lineup that has played at least fifty minutes played fifty five. That was Dinwiddie, O'Neal, Finney, Smith, Bridges, and Johnson. So a small ball group. Um, that lineup was plus thirteen point five per hundred. It's a lot to remember. It is a lot to remember, and I'm not expecting you to remember any of it. I really care that much about lineups because I'm in the I like numbers more as an advanced thing than I think you do. But my point is saying this. They're th- they're, they're, they only have one commonly used lineup, eh, relatively commonly used lineup, uh, that is breaching a h- plus 10 per 100 possessions. Their most commonly used lineup is a pedestrian 3.1 per 100. All that is to say we can, we can dissect this series however we want to dissect it, right? We can go into the X's and O's, Coaching, uh, atmosphere in the you know in the arena, blah 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 blah. I give the Nets pretty much no chance of winning this series. I, last year I picked the Raptors to win in six against the Sixers. I was proven wrong. This year I trust the Sixers enough. I don't think there's going to be much sweat to this series. Might be a gentleman sweep, but I'm picking Sixers in five because I think the I think I think those advanced metrics are another way of saying that. There are some talented pieces here, but ultimately they, they don't have enough to really keep pace with a team that can do what the Sixers can do. So I like Jacques Vaughn. I think he's an opportunist, and I think he's done the best with the hand he was dealt. I mean, if you look at every team that's made both the playoffs and playing combined, there's maybe one that reconstructed their entire roster. That would be the Los Angeles Lakers, but none nearly – as reconstructive as Brooklyn's. I mean, you're talking about losing guys that are going to combine for 35, 40 plus shots and then account for 60 to 70, 80 points on buckets and assisting. I like Brooklyn and I agree with you that it's a very small sample size. So it's tough to determine, Hey, if this lineup works, what these matchups will be against the Sixers. But what we can use is some of those previous games and Jock Vaughn's coaching styles. So Against the Sixers, some of the things you saw were two, three, and three, two zones. They switch up their defensive looks against screens, meaning they're going to switch on screens. They might drop in coverage. They might hedge the screen. All that to say, I think Philly should be paired. Be prepared for a bunch of different defensive looks. And although Brooklyn doesn't have that same bucket getting with KD, with Kyrie, they are athletic between Cam and Doe and Mikhail. So they could give the Sixers struggles defensively. But here's where the series lies. If James Harden is assertive as a point guard and doing both the scoring and playmaking roles that he's done all season, and Embiid can get to his spots early, Brooklyn just can't match up with them. Now, in their previous game against Brooklyn in Brooklyn, where Brooklyn led for nearly the entire game, Philly was kind of lazy defensively, but what brought them back is the fact that Embiid and Harden were able to combine for 66 
of the team's 100 points. So on a straight man-to-man matchup basis, they can't stop these guys. And if you put Nick Claxton in foul trouble, that means Brooklyn's really ill-prepared to defend Joel Embiid. And I just think there are just too many matchup problems on Brooklyn's behalf. You might have Seth Curry out there. You might have Joe Harris out there. And these guys are going to have to defend James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, on top of what I just alluded to, Joel Embiid and the will that he imposes. So I do think Brooklyn's a good squad. I think they'll get right. They have a bright future. But they they overachieved thanks to Katie and Kyrie, and they've been left in this good position where they don't have to fight for a plan like Miami or Atlanta. Um, but I do think it is curtains for Brooklyn entering this series. So what would you say the series is going to be? Like how many games? I really don't think Brooklyn can steal more than two from the Sixers. So I, I, I'm i going to say six at most, but I anticipate it ends in four or five. Yeah, I think it goes five. Uh, you know, bro, those early starts in the playoffs have bothered the Sixers before. I think back to that Triple H playoff game against Washington. They lost at one or two o'clock a couple of years ago. Uh, but this is a different team. This this is a completely different team, and they respond differently to Doc. And James is a leader. You don't have Ben Simmons out there. So, uh, sure, I don't want to compare previous years to this one. And, hey, we mentioned the elephant in the room, Ben Simmons. How ironic is it? Facing the Sixers first round, the guy's going to be in street clothes. I was told that it is, ben, is, ben would be okay, perfectly fine with sitting on the bench. Uh, and in, in, in that series, yeah. uh, it is up to Brooklyn, the Nets, as to whether they want to have him on the bench uh, because they know that you know there will be, you know, uh, toxicity the monkey on their back. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. They're it might be back. more, might be better for them to just not have him. There. I don't know. Um, I think you know the the one thing that I really think that I think that Brooklyn can do with their size, and they don't have much size because of what they've gotten rid of to well not vertical but definitely wingspan size. Yeah, yeah 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 uh sure absolutely uh nick claxton when nick when he was in the court the raptors had a rebound percentage of 47.6 percent so they really weren't even uh dominating the glass i mean they, they're you know they, they were getting less than half their rebounds between offense defense um when it with him on the court I don't. I think. I think rebounding can be a problem at times with the Sixers because it's always a problem with the Sixers at times. Especially, it's a. It can especially be a problem when you know that you're the heavy favorite and you just take thing. You just take plays off sometimes because you know you don't have to lock in because you're that much better. Um, but listen, this is going to be Joel doing what he what he can do. I mean, uh, when they play the game in Brooklyn, the third matchup of the year, when when, when Bridges made his debut for the Nets. He had, he just took them to work in, in, yeah, in, in, in the, in the, in the second half and went for 37 points and, you know, won the game at the free throw line and with like three seconds left. Yep. So there's that, there's the Harden angle. Um, to the point about Jock Vaughn, and it's funny, I guess I'll leave it with this. And this is on, this was posted on Twitter today, courtesy of Francis Zomes. Uh, very good Twitter follow. Highly recommend. He's like a personal Sixers aggregator. So he like everything. What the Sixers hell is eat. that? So imagine like a Legion. What the hell is an aggregator? Like Legion's hoops NBA central account. Oh, okay. Those okay. guys. Now imagine if they were just Sixers stuff. That's yeah. this guy. Yeah. So this was the Christian Winfield quote from the Clap Your Hands podcast with Elliot Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Winfield says, "I think the series will come down to a chess match of sorts." Between Jacques Vaughn and Doc Rivers, and I think Doc River, I think Jacques Vaughn thinks he can take Doc Rivers. Number one, that's cute because I don't think that even if Jacques, even if Jacques Vaughn coaches circles around Doc, I just don't think I think talent rises to the top in the NBA. Yeah, and, I agree and, with that. And, and that, and that'll be it. But number two, that is an interesting point because I, I did rewatch the whole game, the third game they played this season, and. I have a ton of notes on X's and O's. A couple things that the Brooklyn Nets are going to do. Uh, they're going to run Spain pick and roll a lot. They like they like having Cam Johnson back screen for the big man and then him, uh, you know, uh, slipping and popping out to the to, to the to the perimeter for a three. Um, they're going to do a lot of that. They also like 
you know, Bridges and Dimwitty as the ball handler in the pick and roll. I do think that you will see the Sixers flirt with drop coverage. Some, 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 some. It's like it, if they do run into problems, it'll be because of that. Yes. Yeah. Probably. It, most likely. Uh, well, I think I think the problems are going to be like if Brooklyn starts uh, hitting threes in in, in in a row, and you start turning the ball over, and it, particularly with Joel off the court, like if you run into a a stalled offense without Joel on the court, and they hit three or four threes in a row, then you could be facing a deficit. But um, they're going to run that pick and roll with Dinwiddie with Bridges. Uh, you, you'll probably see Joel test it a little bit and say, okay, I'm going to be modified. I'm going to be a heavy drop. We'll see what they do with that. And then, um, you know, from there they will adjust. Um, I think on the net side, they're going to switch a lot of things. One thing that I did notice when I rewatched the game, they have the size and they have the wingspan that they will switch and then they will scram switch. So they're, they're okay. If like, okay, we're going to get a smaller guy here on Joel. We're going to end up with Pat. We're going to end up with Patty Mills on Joel here. Not a problem. You know what we're going to do? We're going to scram switch Mikhail into that, and we're going to go run Patty Mills to the weak side corner to go get PJ mm-hmm. Tucker. So they're going to keep. They're going to. They're, they 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 have the ability to be flexible, versatile, and move quickly and and adjust quickly on the fly on defense. Um, Joe Harris comes into the game right. They're going to be running DHOs for him. Uh, you have to be careful with those DHOs because he can get going in a hurry from three. Yeah. Those are gonna. Those could be, you know, a, a, a difficulty of sort. Um, the, really, the only way this is gonna get any kind of sloppy or ugly at all for the Sixers is if they mess around on defense and they're not getting rotations down. down they're biting on fakes. They are not physical or aggressive enough. Mikael Bridges is gonna is gonna get his shots. He, he he's taken a liking to the pull up midi. Uh, there was a one play where he actually used a little shoulder shove on PJ and got him off balance and then drained to a two, uh, you know, about 15 feet out. So he, with his wingspan, he can do that. It's going to be, how do you stop the three point shooters? Cause they're going to get up a lot of threes. It's all about communicating. What coverage are we in? Uh, quickly making a switch on the fly instead of being, Oh, I thought that was your guy. No, that was my guy. Oh, now he got a wide open three out of it. So it's those things in the series that are going to matter. So let me raise another point. I don't think Brooklyn has enough self-generated buckets in them to keep up with the Sixers on a bucket-for-bucket basis, right? So you can't trade twos and threes with the Sixers because I don't think Brooklyn's three-point percentage, which they're going to rely on as their threes, can be sustainable throughout a game to keep up with the Sixers just keeping their pace throughout a game. And in this league, yeah, I think Golden State can put a team away up big or some teams out west uh, or, or, or above the east, Boston, Milwaukee probably could, the Sixers. But Brooklyn with a 15-point lead even doesn't scare me as some of those other teams I just mentioned because I don't think they could keep up on a bucket-for-bucket basis and their three-point shooting isn't necessarily sustainable throughout a game, let alone the series. So I don't think the Sixers at any point are going to be out of a game in this series, but I, I, I do think they could get into some deep defensive shit Based on some of those things you said where, hey, we start the game and drop coverage. Spencer Dinwiddie opens the game with an easy eight against drop coverage. Now he's in rhythm. You got to adjust. You start coming up on the Dinwiddie ball handling around the screen. Mikel wins a back cut or two uh, in the half court on Tobias. There's two easy buckets for him. Now you're worried about Mikel and the ball handler. And Bede tries to position himself in between. Nick Claxton gets to the basket for two buckets rolling. So you don't want to let all their guys get into an early rhythm based on your lack of urgency defensively. I want them to come out defensively and shut all that cute shit down. We're better than you. You can shoot your threes. You can get your transition threes, run your offense a bit, but it can't be anything easy. I almost want to say that just to keep things simple, because I don't think the Sixers are a particularly great fight through screen team. Um, when they're running off ball actions, just switch those. You know, they they, they don't have a guy like uh, you know, like the, I don't. Th- I'm not worried about Nick Claxton getting a face up or getting a, a post up. You know, seventeen, oh, eighteen. Just feet from the basket. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there, I don't, you know, if, if he starts hitting jumpers, then fine, let him hit jumpers. But I, you know, I'm not worried about him playing bully ball. The best way I think to just go at this, to just counter this team is, it, you know, if you want to do a drop and a high pick and roll, uh, fine. You know that if Joel has, even if, especially if Joel has it going, if he's, you know, got a 20 point first half, and you know, and and with the Nets are still scoring, okay. Leave him in drop because that allows him to conserve energy for offense, and you know, and, and don't make him you know play up higher or switch that much. You might even want to hedge a little bit. That's fine. Um, you're not really worried about Claxton until he gets within the free throw line or you know a step or two in from there. So just to keep you know the the three point volume at bay a little bit and not let them see great looks at the basket early on. If they're screening for you, just switch it. Let 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 Tyrese take Claxton. Let James take Bridges. Let this guy, you know, do whatever. Um, I I will tell you this: the Nets are not concerned about Joel uh, on defense. They don't appear at really at all intimidated by him. Um, there was, you know, there were plays in that game where they purposely Dinwiddie brought said said bring me Joel. I want him in the action here. I'm gonna go at him. Because he could, he could say that he don't mean that shit. But well, I mean, so well, so wait. In the fourth quarter of that game, however, he had Tobias up top or on the right side of the floor. Who did? Uh, Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie. He attacked middle with his left hand off. So his offhand attacked middle and dunked it with Joel rotating over to the low. Oh, ball. you mean they're not worried about Embiid as a defensive presence? Correct. I, I misunderstood and thought you meant that defensively they're not worried about Joel Embiid on offense. I was like, yeah, no, okay. yeah, no, no. Oh, so no you're I'm, saying I'm they're defense. not intimidated by Embiid as a, a paint protector, rim protector. Correct, correct. That's why you got to establish that tone early. You got to like so. I'll use this game as an example. You remember the Cavs game they played on national TV where Embiid had like the video game esque stat line, but. He had the block on uh, Isaac Okoro in the first quarter, the block yeah. on Evan Mobley in the Like that game was one of Embiid's five best this season. And it was just straight dominance, offense, defense. He came out with, with this urgency. He set a tone and, and it, it was a wrap. Like it didn't matter. The guy just imposed his will and you have to respond to that. You can't impose one back. You know how I knew that that game was going to be – it was like it was lights out for that game. He had that move where he was on like the left block and he got doubled and he had a, he had a face up. and he had to, he, He's holding off – he's trying to shield off defenders coming at him on a double, has the ball in his right hand with like extended out. Mm-hmm. And he pivots and he steps back through the double towards the basket and lays it up and in as he's falling down onto the floor. Like yep. I was like, – that was – such a brilliant move, such a great move by him to just pivot back through that and be like, okay, I'm just gonna finish this. And then, it, yeah, no, he's he, he's ridiculous. Um, but you know, I, I think another factor in the series that it does not play well for the Nets, uh, is that Brooklyn is obviously so close to Philly that the yeah, Sixers no fans, travel. Sixers fans can travel well to that. And you know they're there. It could feel like a like an away game in Brooklyn, um, but you know I do think that, that the things that are going to you know mess with the Sixers a little bit, they have to be very toned up on, especially on defense. They're going to run drag actions with uh, you know with Claxton for Dinwiddie and to and and try to get you know multiple guys involved and get and get you know turn this into a DHO and we're going to have you pop out. A back screen, you know, a lot of back screen stuff. Um, they're going to need Tobias to be very good defensively in this series. I don't really care what he does in the playoffs offensively. Obviously, he can't be terrible, but I'm willing to let him have his wild fluctuations as an offensive player if and only if he is locking things down on defense and holding his own on his matchup. I mean, I expect him to be very good in this defensively in, in this net series because there's the most dynamic player the Nets have is Mikael Bridges, and then everybody else is stepped downward from there. Um, but as these playoffs go on, they're going to need him to, t- to to tighten it up. And by the way, he shut Jason Tatum down in the fourth quarter of that game they played uh, two weeks ago, where you could argue Joel clinched the MVP. 
So my thought process is Tobias is a consummate pro, right? That, that, that's, this isn't to take away from his character and who he is for this team because he is a connector and he has his nights, but my expectations for Tobias are unfortunately so low that any night Tobias gives me more than 12, it's like, it's, it's a little shocking, but it's, it's a welcomed 12. It's a welcomed 14, whatever. Because at this point, he's really only going to get 8 to 10 shots. And for whatever reason, he misses bunnies. He'll have these possessions where he'll just pound the clock and take 8 dribbles and turn fade into a back iron shot. Like, I'm cool with Tobias getting his 8 to 10. And I expect him to go 4 of four of 10 or 2 for 8 at this point. So like I said, anything more is bonus. But defensively, you got to commit. I, I got to see this dude blowing up screens with conviction. You can't be getting beat uh, by what, like I think back to the Bucks game recently where Grayson Allen was like dribbling past this dude. I'm like, you got to, are you serious? You're 6'8". You can't, and it's, it's just disappointing. So consummate pro, he's the man as a connector, great for the locker room. I don't expect much offensively from him with this group, but defensively, you got to lock in and commit to something. If you're going to have to take the assignment against Mikel, who's getting 20 shots a night, damn near, who's been balling, you got to take that. If you got to switch on a Cam Johnson, you better stay solid. If they need you as a low man against Claxton, I need you to hold your own. If you could do that, you're good with me. Yeah, I think that's that's all fair and right. Um the Harden aspect to this is interesting because I think the Nets have a ver- number of guys who can make his life a little bit more complicated on 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 offense. It's funny if you told me in the beginning of the year, uh, as the Bulls and Raptors are about to tip off, that the Bulls are going to be a top ten defense and a bottom ten offense, I would have been like, "What planet are we? What, what planet are we living on?" Did any team in the league give James Harden more problems this year? In the Chicago Bulls, he was awful again. Not bad, awful against them three games this year. But I think it has less to do with Chicago actually being good defensively and more to just James not showing up for that game. Or, like, I really don't buy this idea that Chicago's that good of a defense. I watched Donovan Mitchell put 71 on him, and the guy had like 18, 19 points in the first half. Like that was straight second or that was straight third, fourth quarter and overtime scoring. And Chicago, I mean, they're just inconsistent. They'll win the game and lose three. They'll win a big game and then lose four. Like, I mean, Caruso's not a pushover. Pat Bev's cool, but really, who do they have defensively that would make them a top ten defense? Yeah. I mean, I, I well, so I, I think it's well, it's Caruso for sure, because he's yeah, but uh, I mean, he's an all he's an he's a DPOI candidate, but it's Beverly, it's Caruso, and it's uh, Pat Williams. Those are the three. Yeah, that doesn't move me at all. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just saying like it's it is fascinating that that was a team that gave him the most problems consistently. But you know, the, Brooklyn's going to have Claxton, they're going to have Bridges, uh, Cam Johnson, uh, Finney Smith, all those guys. Royce are going to we'll say. Yeah, five. So five guys right there that are going to take turns trying to defend uh, James Harden. I thought James looked better than okay. He looked, you know, quite capable of of beating, uh, you know, Claxton or any of those guys on a switch to the basket and getting a layup. Um, now, granted, that was before we knew about his Achilles injury, so we will see if that's a factor. Uh, but I think for the work – the it's already a bad scenario for Brooklyn because they don't have the horses on offense. Uh, if Joel is Joel and if James is like able to do what he wants against switches, it might be 4-0. And it might be an ugly 4-0 for Brooklyn. Yeah, I don't think this goes past six games. That's the ceiling. I think it gets done in four or five. Uh, what other series do you like here? I love every series, man. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see how these uh, plans unfold. You see, I got my guy SGA on right now. I had to show some love because I think OKC gets the win in New Orleans tonight, and then OKC would go in to play Minnesota, who last night that game was just a wash. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tapped into everything. I think if I had to pick a team outside of Philly to come out of the East, it would probably be Boston. 
I just like Boston's depth. I know they struggled some, but I really think that they could play like four or five different lineups and, and picture this, right? One can have only Tatum. One can have only Jalen Brown. One can have both. One can have neither. One can just have a point guard. And then there's a complete alternative. One can have all of the above. You could have a point guard, JBN, Jason Tatum. You've got Al Horford and Rob Williams, who I don't think individually are are serious paint protectors against a guy like Giannis or Embiid. But as a collective, when you throw doubles at a guy with Marcus Smart and one of uh, Horford or Williams, you could give trouble to both Embiid and Giannis. I think they're a solid team on both ends, offense and defense. There's never a shortage of creating. And they're always due for extreme offensive explosions. Like some nights they'll they'll just fuck around and make 35-43s, you know? So I think if it's not Philly, it could be Boston. And the West, I, I really do. I think Phoenix is probably the best team out West with KD and D-Book. It's just unfair. And you got Chris Paul running the point guard and DA to contribute. But the West is going to be tough, man, because I kind of said something about this earlier, where in the NBA, 15-point leads aren't really 15-point leads anymore. They're really just three-possession games. You get it to back within nine to six, and it's a game. And teams just keep doing this. Like, they're they're down 25 and win, or they're down 15 and win. One team I would not want to see if I was anybody in the West is Golden State. They've struggled. I understand that defensively on the road, they've, they've not traveled well. In fact, they've been the worst road team in the NBA of all the contenders. But you've got Steph, Clay, and Jordan Poole, who are all top 12 in threes this season, and two of them are top three. So I don't know, man. I think Golden State, if they get Wiggins back and start clicking, they're pretty comfortable in the playoffs. They could come out the West for all I know. So here's my take on the Sixers. I trust them. I believe they're a very good team this year. Like This is the best team of the Embiid era for sure. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, Because I have never seen them get out of the second round, I can't pick them to get out of the second round. It's a weird thing. I know. I'm just sort of like, I don't know what that looks like. So it's hard for me. Prisoner of your mind. It's it's, it's what you've seen for. I I was going to say this at the top of the show when you brought up like, you know, I understand that the regular season is just the regular season or whatever. But I was going to say that like we're so objectively, of course not. But as Sixers fans and people watch the Sixers, we're desensitized to moments like this, like they've had four of their best 10, eight years in franchise history in the past four years, just on a regular season accomplishment basis. And we're desensitized to it because it's resulted in bounced being bounced in the same spot in each of those seasons. So it's like, how can you say otherwise if that's all, you know? Yeah. Um, I honestly don't know who I'd pick between Boston and Milwaukee. I'm probably leaning towards Milwaukee because uh, I trust their health right now better than I trust Boston's. And I also just don't trust Jason Tatum. Like I'm, I'm a Boston fan gets so mad at me. Like I have a couple of my DMS every time Tatum has like five or six good games in a row. They'll be like, just checking in. Do you trust him now? I'm like, no, it's not going to change until he does until he's not shooting 35% from three anymore. Like, I'm sorry, he's a high-volume chucker who is not a very good shooter. Um, I, I won't go that far. I won't go that far. He's not. like Statistically, he is not a very good shooter. He's an okay because he takes a lot of shots. But yeah, but I mean, he's real, not a like, good shooter. On a straight, like, give me a bucket basis, Tatum's top, top – he could be top five in the NBA on a straight get me a bucket basis. So I did, a, I did like, a, a, a mock ballot for Sports Illustrated – this season uh, on what on what like a draft uh the awards. the awards the awards okay tatum was not in my mvp conversation at all was not in your mvp conversation correct nor was luca well i mean i, I really the mvp was a two-man race really a three-man race but you could choose who, who you leave out so i mean i can't even be mad at you because like four and five is a toss-up between like tatum sga donovan mitchell and in reality, like none of those guys were actually going to win the award. It was it was between Embiid and Jokic, and then people decided to pay attention to Giannis. And they're like, oh, shit, this guy's averaging 
30, 11, and 6 off 55% shooting, and they have the most wins in the NBA, and he's the best player in the NBA. Okay. Yeah, he can win MVP as well. Do you now, now here is where my ballot gets interesting. I voted for Embiid, of course. Um I uh I think I went Jokic two, Giannis three, De'Aaron Fox four. It's a cool pick. Top three Sabo- seed. Sabonis five. You're, you, what the hell? Why would you do that? <laughs> so here's my thing. Listen, 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 I have very. You can't. Have, you can't justify this. Uh, no, I'm I just I, let I, you know off Rick. There's no way to I justify this. I think I can. I'm huge. Huge, 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 huge on clutch shooting numbers. De'Aaron Fox was the best clutch player in the NBA this past season, and they were a top three seed in the in the West. He was a, he was a near he was going to be a lock on my ballot. Then I realized how can I put him on, but then not also put Sabonis on. Because, I got an idea. You don't put either of them on because. Sabonis is better than Fox. So I arrived at two Kings on my MVP ballot. Yeah, that's just stupid. I'm not going to lie, my friend. That's just stupid because it's like the MVP is the most valuable player award. So you've got two of the most valuable players in the NBA on the same team. What happens if you take Deer and Fox off of that team? They still have an MVP based on your guidelines. Like, so that doesn't make him the most valuable player. They are not a good team if they don't it's, have the it's, it's a technicality thing I'm not going to get into with. It's all jokes. I know you're not wholeheartedly serious about that. No, I was very serious. I thought about Come it. Come on, for, dude. I thought about it for 25, 30 minutes. I mean, over Donovan Mitchell, they were a five seed in the Mitchell, East. They won a lot of Mitchell, games. Mitchell, Mitchell had the 71. Close. He ended Mitchell with like, was close. However. Tatum even? However. Mitchell did not make it because of this. If you recall, last season, Cavaliers were like 14 games above 500 before they got ravaged by injuries and ended up in the play-in. So my argument there would be Mitchell's been phenomenal for them, been tremendous. I I can't just push aside the fact that they were like at their peak only a little bit worse than they are, were this year. I disagree because it's like nobody was threatened last year by a rookie effing Mobley, Darius Garland running point, and and a seven-man rotation to actually make it to the ECF. Whereas this year, it's like, bro, you know Donovan Mitchell's playoff reputation. He's their leading bucket getter. He's their leading ball handler. He's their leader. They're a legitimate threat to, to at least, if not come out the East, compete for it, whereas last year – I'm not going to call it fool's gold, but were they realistically a threat to actually beat anybody last year compared to now? It's like they got Mitchell. They're serious. I don't think the Cavaliers are any threat to come out of these this year. I mean, I genuinely. So I do think the three teams atop the East run the East. But listen, New York's not going out without a fight. New York's taking any team six to seven games. I understand Julius is hurt. He may be playing with a hurt ankle, but JB is is the... would, would Yo, you agree what? that Jalen Brunson would have an argument for a fifth place finish in the belt? No, I would. I think he could. Dude, these guys are like most. They can have most improved and 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 clutch player of the year awards, but most valuable player in the NBA is crazy. Can you name one? I can only name one legitimate, like not legitimate, but. I can only you, – you didn't watch the Kings play. The Kings aren't on national TV. I only watched one Kings game this year that was like, damn, they won that game. It was against the Warriors. But like, I watched I can, a lot of Kings basketball this year. They, I can tell you play. like six or seven games each for Jokic, for Tatum, for Giannis, where like they were MVP steal, MVP stamp games. The Kings like uh, – they can have coach of the year, but it's, I don't think it's an MVP. I think it's a collective thing. They're just collectively a good team. Okay. I think the argument against that is they went from being a dog shit offense for like forever until like now th- this year they were historically good offense. 
Yeah, so you give Mike Brown, the new coach, the coach of the year award. He got his team right. You needed a new voice in there. You trade for Sabonis. You got your big man. Their offense likes to shoot threes. They're young. They're up pace. But MVP, man, Tatum went out and had some way bigger monumental wins than De'Aaron or Sabonis. He also, so did OKC with Shea. He also pissed away games this year, Tatum. You just don't. You just don't. You don't. You don't like Tatum. That's it. No, I, I don't have a problem with Tatum the person or the player or the Celtics. Oh, yeah. I just don't. I, I can't get behind it with him. I just for whatever reason so I can't get it. He does have his like seven for twenty four shooting nights with five turnovers. But what about the games where he shoots like twenty for twenty eight and drops like forty five? Show me a game where he ever shot twenty for twenty eight. Well, maybe not 20 for 28, but close to it where he's dropped 40 on pretty good efficiency. Like, you can't stop this, dude. I think about the playoffs last year, bro. He, he, he got Brooklyn out of there in four games. All right. Now, here is my reason for uh, Giannis and Jokic. I originally had Giannis finishing ahead of Jokic because two-way player, and that matters to me. I ultimately decided Jokic second because and actually the defensive player of the year debate inspired me to think this way. How can we say that Giannis is in, is truly in the discussion if he has one teammate that was an all-star, another teammate that is in the DPOI discussion, and meanwhile, Joel didn't have any of those things. Uh Jokic didn't have any of those things. So if we're going to say that Giannis had more help, how can he be the MVP? Um, that was my logic for going Jokic over Giannis. But Joel was far and away uh, the, the winner for me. And I think people who think it was close are lying to themselves, honestly. It was a three-man race. Joel Embiid ended it. With the Memphis win, in my opinion, he had to keep the momentum rolling. He had that huge game against Cleveland on primetime. And then there was the Boston win on primetime where he dropped 52. I don't like having the conversation of, well, this team's better than this team and he has more help. A lot of people use it. Uh, but at no point in any of the past two, let alone four or five seasons, have I thought Jokic was the most dominant player in basketball. And to me... I've kind of invalidated the MVP argument because I'm like, whatever, it's a regular season award based on narratives and the voters can do whatever. It's out of our control. I like to look at dominance. Dominance, it's two-way. It's on the glass. It's lacing up and just overpowering everybody. Jokic does that in his own unique way. He's a point center, uh, an unreal amount of assists for a guy his size, one of the best passers of all time already, uh, one of the most unique players of all time. I think it just sets a bad precedent. If he wins three consecutive years, he's gotten to the same, if not a worse point potentially in all three seasons. And at no point have I felt like he's the most dominant player. I've looked at Embiid and been like, yeah, this dude can't get taken off of the floor in any situation. You trust him to go get you a bucket. You trust him to go make a stop. It's the same with Giannis too. And Giannis, despite the free throw struggle, shooting 50% there, not a great three-point shooter. When it matters, he's delivered. I think back to the Suns series when they were in the finals and the dude shot, what, 18 of 19 at the line or something of that nature? So uh, when, I, when I look at it as a Giannis and Jokic thing, because Embiid's the winner, in my opinion, to, to win a scoring title back-to-back -back seasons as the biggest, most unguardable dude in the NBA, and he's not just doing it in a cheesy way how people think. It's all three levels. It's bag work. It's, it's, it's overpowering guys. It's middies. It's cooking dudes. And then the defensive stuff, it's Embiid head and shoulders. But if it's a Giannis and Jokic thing, sure, Brooke Lopez, I'd argue, is a top five center in the NBA. His defense is unbelievable. Drew Holiday, the same. If, if you double with this guy and among guards, one of the best defenders in the NBA. But their oh, defense, oh, oh. go ahead. Quick ode to that. Um, we can't neglect just how far Brooke Lopez has come as the defender. Oh, that his career not, arc is, is that, amazing. That is, that is not, it was not his MO coming into the league. He was never a defender in Brooklyn. 
and he just blossoms into this uh, all-world stopper on defense. And he doesn't and look at stretch the floor, big, bro. He's kind of oafy. He has massive feet, but that dude is an awesome defender. He's Tremendous tough to get defender. around. His his closeouts are ridiculous because he's like eight feet when he puts his arm up. He's strong and, and he stretches the floor. He's like everything you'd want in a modern center if you weren't going to have an Embiid or Jokic-esque center. Uh, but I say all that to say their defense works that way because of Giannis. Like when they have screens and Giannis is on the strong side, they just funnel guys into Giannis. What are you going to do? Like think about – Fuck the argument, bro. Think about Giannis, me and you, bro, as if the cameras weren't here. Like, this is man-to-man, right? Think about the premise of, of Giannis Antetokounmpo on the basketball court, bro. This guy is seven feet. He's 250, 60, bro, jacked, shredded to the bone. You're not going through this, man. You're not going around this, man. He's the biggest and longest dude on the court. Like, his, his arms are damn near seven feet when he does this, bro. He's a specimen. And it's not like he's heavy-footed or he's not agile. Like, he's a freak athlete. He's going to get the stop. He's going to swallow you. He's going to lock you up. And then he's going to take it coast-to-coast and bang on you. And Giannis probably has the most posters, the most bodies in the NBA. But it happens on, like, a three-game basis. So it's just like you're not even surprised. This guy catches a body, and it's like, oh, that's Giannis. Like, that's, that's just him. Can I give you my uh, my my hot take for the for the West? Yeah, that what's might, that? That might not be a hot take. I don't know. I no, I'll say this. I know that I don't believe. I know that I don't believe that the that the Nuggets are getting out of the second round. So I the think- Nuggets play in the first round. The winner of the play in. Loser tonight. So hypothetically, we we took uh, OKC, right? That means the Pelicans, if they lose, would be bounced. And OKC plays Minnesota. The winner of that would play Denver in the first round, right? No, no, it's the second round. I know, but I'm just saying their path to the second round. So they would have, provided we say, okay, they would have the winner of Minnesota versus OKC and New Orleans. So they'd have one of Minnesota, OKC, or New Orleans. Correct. They'll win that. That's, that's a wash, right? They'll, they'll win Second that. Second round, who would they have? They would have Phoenix or the Clippers. And I think Phoenix obviously wins that. Um, that's tough. I, it, listen, they beat gonna, the Clippers, I think, but maybe not. Maybe not. They're going to put – Jokic is going to live in drop coverage because he, they don't want anybody getting downhill on him. And they're going to run high pick and rolls, Durant, CP, Booker. It's going to be a mid-range nightmare for the Nuggets. And I would have very real concerns if I'm them about how do we stop this. And the answer might be you can't. The answer might be that it doesn't matter who your your your, your, your defensive backbone is. But I, I'm pretty confident in saying that it ain't going to be that guy who's going to able to step up and 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 handle those screens is the big uh if they uh, assuming they play the suns in the second round i do not think they're getting out of the second round and what the conversation is going to be is we almost just gave three mvps in a row to a guy who lost and who didn't get to the conference finals yeah that's what i said he'll have gotten to the same if not a worse point every season he's won the award and i haven't felt he's the most dominant in any of the seasons he's won I think the West is going to be a bloodbath, bro. I think Phoenix is a really good team. If the Clippers click, they got a lot of weapons. I mean, even without Paul George, they're still probably eight deep. They've got two centers, a couple of guards, and a lot of shooting. Golden State is a team that still scares me. I think Memphis is is going to be fine against the Lakers, but let's say the Lakers get hot, right? LeBron's LeBron, AD, if he's dominant and poses his will. And credit to the Lakers, dude. I'm watching last night. I really didn't think it was a great game. I wasn't moved by it. But the Lakers, before they made all those deadline moves, wouldn't have even been in the play-in, I don't think. They're a completely different team as far as energy. So credit to the Lakers. But I do think Memphis does their thing with them. And by the way, I'm not a big – I've never been a big Westbrook guy. Very happy to see him starting to like – 
Yeah, of course. Blossom. Blossom yeah, in a, in a different there. role. Yeah. Get there. Um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, yeah, the Lakers game. Uh, yeah, that game was hilarious. I knew that I knew that the Wolves were cooked when they're in fourth quarter, and they have Cat has Austin Reeves on a switch. Yep, I know what, what does he say. do. What does he do? He takes a step back, long two, and bricks that shit. That is the type of stuff about him that drives me insane. Yeah, bro. How- TNT, uh, the the inside crew did a whole segment on cat's aggression or lack thereof in the second half. And they used like three or four possessions where cat either went away from the ball or he he wasn't looking at the basket or he had a matchup where he didn't demand the ball. You know, it's whatever. I think uh, people have this idea of cat and and they want him to be a certain way, but his play style is a little different. And I think that was the motive in trading for Rudy Gobert, letting this dude be more of like a face up four, even though his build maybe negates that. But even in college, he played alongside a big – it's it's moments like last night where, yeah, I understand you want Cat to go be Cat, but, bro, that fourth quarter was so unbearable. Like, LeBron would come down, take two crazy shots, and turn the rock over. And meanwhile, Ant would take a crazy shot. Mike Conley would cook up a step-back shot off the dribble and miss it. I mean, the team scored seven, eight buckets in the fourth quarter combined. That's insane, bro. Yeah, it was disgusting. Uh, Brock, it's been a pleasure as always. Anything to plug? Just the YouTube and Twitter. Uh, I mean, at this point, for the people listening, they probably know where to find this stuff, man. I post consistently on Twitter. Not as consistently on YouTube, more of a two, one per week guy on YouTube. But Twitter, you can find stuff basically every day. Uh, so just tap in with me if you haven't already. And Krell, as always, I appreciate you, bro. He is... Brock Landis, you can find him on Twitter at Landis Brock. Uh, I'm Austin Krell on the Sixers Beat. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. As always, everybody, we appreciate you listening. We'll be back next time, probably previewing this the Celtics series, maybe even a little bit before that, uh, in the next episode of the Feed to Embiid. Stepping back and stroking two. Bogdanovich thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help in the